0: And what a wonderful way to transition a uh, Sam's uh, Club-type building into a church, but to sing the doxology and praise the Lord for his provision. And thank you again for your prayers and your faithfulness in giving and encouraging us along the way. We still have 190000 to go, so if you have $190,000 and you don't know what to do with it, I'd be glad to talk to you after the service. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? It doesn't come in at, at 190000 at a time. What we have found is it's $20,000, $50,000, dollars a time. And God brought that first $190,000 in, and I know He will bring the remainder of it in. And then we can focus on planting another church out of Bay Life Baptist Church, which is the ultimate goal. Like produces like churches should be producing churches. And we already have Sandy Bay, Picked out to have the Bay Life Baptist Church in Sandy Bay, Jamaica, and Pastor Andrew's already preparing our people for that. So we praise the Lord for that. Um, we do have some magazines, they are hot off the press out in the uh, vestibule. I'd encourage you to pick one of these up. Missions starts at home, and that's what we all ought to be involved in. The next generation of missionaries are not coming from our Bible colleges, they're not coming from our seminaries, they're coming from our homes. You are parenting the next generation of missionaries. Let me encourage you to take one of these and see what you can do in a practical way to teach your children, to train them, and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You say, well, not my kid going to the mission field. Uh, That's the problem, folks. That's the problem is it has to be our children. And if it's not our children, then who will go and who will share? So take one of these, get a prayer card, uh, men, put it on the refrigerator. Ladies, put it on your mirror. I know that it will be seen regularly every day. And when you see that prayer card, you pray for us. Teach. Teach the gospel. Take your Bibles, if you will, to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. In Jamaica, we usually get out about 1.30, 2 o'clock. But the guy who is running the soundboard already told me that he controls the sound. <laughs> So we will get you out in plenty of time, and especially knowing that there is lunch waiting for us right after we finish. It happens almost every school day. (coughs) It did when our kids were young. It does with our grandkids now. You either pick them up or they come home on the bus and you say, well, how was school? Okay. Well, what did you learn today? Nothing. Am I right? And I always ask my grandkids, well, if you learned nothing, how do you know that you learned anything? Just nothing. But if I were to ask the average church member, how was church today? Eh, it was okay. What would you learn at church? Nothing. And that's pretty much how it goes, isn't it? I want to share with you that that we ought to be learning. We ought to be learning so that we can teach others also. That's what 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2 says, and things that thou hast heard and seen of me, Paul is talking, commit thou to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. We are just one generation away from extinction. We have to teach the next generation the gospel of Christ. And that's what Titus 2, by the way, Titus is my favorite book. Titus 2, 11 through 13, teaches us. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, and in the Old English, that E-T-H on the end means it's a continual action. It keeps teaching. It keeps bringing salvation. The grace of God that is continually bringing salvation hath appeared to all men. Now let me stop here and answer a question that a lot of people just struggle with. What about people who have never had a clear presentation of the gospel? The Athas last night shared that there are so many language groups and so many people groups who have no missionaries. And of the 7 billion people on the face of the earth, 2 billion don't even know who Jesus is. We're arguing about the second coming. They haven't even heard about the first. They don't know. So do they get an excuse? Well, Romans chapter one and verse 18 is the answer for that. And and verse 20 says this, the invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things that are made so that they are without excuse. Now here's the first answer to the question. What about people who've never heard? They have seen, they have seen. This is a beautiful building. I'm so glad it just evolved out of nowhere, aren't you? Now you say, well, that's crazy. You don't know what you're talking about, man. There were a lot of of prayers. There was a lot of giving. There was a construction crew. There was a time when this building was built. There was a lot of work went into this. You mean it didn't just happen over billions of years? Then how ridiculous to think that the complexity of the human body happened over time, plus chance, plus matter. I I like what B.R. Lakin used to say. He said that there was a... collision of two molecules in the marsupial swamp, and out of those two molecules, there was a a fish that developed, and it developed a tail, and it began to swim, and then it flopped up on land, and it evolved some legs, and it crawled on all fours, and then it got into a tree and started swinging on the tree, and as it was swinging on the tree, the tail broke off, and it fell to the ground, and it stood upright, and it walked into a college classroom and became a professor. and yet we are teaching people that it just happened? No, my friend, the invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things that are made. You look at a tree. You look at the sky. We stood down in the Bahamas a week and a half ago and looked at the sky from standing on an island, so there were no lights distracting us, and looked at the stars and saw the heavens and said, what a fantastic God. Not only has it been revealed to them by creation, but it's revealed in conscience. Verse 21 says, although then they knew God, that they did not glorify him as God. There is that God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. We are different from the rest of the animal world. We have self consciousness self-awareness we used to have a dachshund is the dumbest animal I've ever seen he was cute but he was dumb and uh, he didn't know he was a dog I had to constantly remind him he was a dog because he thought he was human we have self-awareness we know we have a conscience And within our conscience, with knowledge, that's what conscience means, with knowledge, we have a knowledge of God, and we know that we didn't make all of these things. Somebody had to, and that somebody is God. My Bible tells me that they are without excuse. Psalm 29, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the handiwork of God, and the firmament shows forth His works, His glory, without excuse. Not only do they have the general revelation of creation and conscience, but they have special revelation through the person of God. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then they have the proclamation of the Word. Hebrews 1, verse 1 says, God, who at various times and in diverse manners spoke in times past to the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son... Who he, cre- he, who he appointed heir of all things. And I love what that verse says. Uh, when he made an atonement for his sins, it says he sat down at the right hand of the throne. You know what that means? There's no chair in the tabernacle or temple because there was continual work. But when Christ sat down, the work was finished. It's done. They have the general revelation of creation. They have the special revelation that we have of Christ. And then... Personal revelation that Christ came to his own and his own received him not. Do you know there were at least two times when the whole world knew God personally? Adam and Eve. Noah. And all of the world knew God through Adam and Eve and through Noah. And they're without excuse. But a better question to ask rather than how can a loving God send, send anyone to Hell who has never heard. Maybe we should ask this question, why would a righteous God take anyone to heaven who's never told? You have the gospel. I have the gospel. We have an awareness that there is a world without Jesus Christ, and the grace of God that brings forth salvation needs to continually be going forth to generation to generation to generation, teaching the next generation the things that we have learned That's the expression of grace, but look at the education of grace. Verse 12, teaching us, who is that? That's you. That's me. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Teaching us certain things. What does it teach us? Grace teaches us how to live by denying ungodliness and worldly lust. What is ungodliness? Anything that doesn't match up to the character of God. And, and, and God puts in our hearts, through the ministry of His Holy Spirit, that still, quiet voice that says, you know that's wrong. You know you shouldn't be involved in that. that. That's not pleasing to God. And God's grace is not the freedom to do what we want to do, but it's the ability to do what God has called us to do. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, the natural inclinations, the things that we just do naturally. Like James Brown would say, I feel good. <laughs> now listen to me, folks. You know why we haven't reached this world with the gospel of Christ when we have all of the technology of our generation and all of the resources of the United States that we have and all of the opportunities, do you know why we haven't reached this world by this generation with the gospel of Christ? Because we are still involved in ungodliness and worldly lust as God's people. Now, you can say amen or ouch, but you know that's the truth. I have a unique position. I pastored a church for 17 years. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Did all of that before I ever became a missionary. You know who gave me the most trouble when I was a pastor? Wasn't the unsaved people. Wasn't the homosexuals. Wasn't the prostitutes. Wasn't the bar owners. It was church members who were involved in ungodliness and worldly lust, and we spent so much time dealing with the problems within the church that we couldn't reach outside of the church to reach the world with the gospel. Are you listening to me? Because when you leave here, I'm going to ask you, what did you learn at church today? (laughs) And don't you dare say nothing. But I'm telling you this because I love you. Your Christian liberty in Christ is not worth someone else dying and going to hell for. Did you hear that? You know what the big debate in churches today is? Can a Christian drink alcohol? Can a Christian go to R rated movies? Can a Christian do this and a Christian do that? And we're trying to see how close we can get to the world that we've forgotten. The whole ministry of grace teaching us is how close can we get to God? How how much like Him can I look? How close can I walk with Him so that I might teach others? Grace teaches us how to live and grace transforms us. Everyone that Jesus saved, He changed. And if you've never been changed, you've not been saved. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, how should we live? Soberly, not as a drunk person who's not aware of his surroundings, but sober as an older person who is fully aware of what's going on in this world. Soberly, righteously, doing what is right, not what is convenient, not what is comfortable, but doing the right thing, and godly, godly, living a life with a purpose that moves us toward God, not away from God. And if I were to ask you, are you living soberly? Are you aware of what's going on in the world Are your senses open to to what the current situation is? Are you living righteously? Are you doing the right things on a daily basis? And are you living godly? Are you closer to God now than, than you were a week ago or a month ago or a year ago? Or are you still caught up in the ungodliness and worldly lust? See, I'm not talking about unsafe people. This is talking to Christians. It says teaching us, God's people. To live soberly, righteously, and godly. And then, not only the expression of God's grace in our lives and education teaching us, but there is an expectation that comes with the grace of God that has been presented to us. Look at verse 13, Titus 2, 11 through 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I love this verse because I I love to use it on Jehovah's Witnesses. I love to use it with the Mormons. Um, I love to use it with Christians who are uninformed. You know what the last part of that verse tells me? The great God our Savior, Jesus Christ, Jesus is God. And th- this verse and, and hundreds of other verses teach us that Jesus is God in the flesh. And everything that God the Father is, Jesus is. But it also teaches us this. He's coming back. Acts, <laughs> you men of in the book of Acts says, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heavens? What are you looking at? Man, we just saw Jesus go up to heaven. That's what we're looking at. The the one who promised us the the kingdom. The one who was resurrected from the dead. Now he's going up into heaven. Why stand you gazing? This same Jesus will so come again in like manner as you have seen him go. He's coming back. Jesus said, uh, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house and many mansions, if it weren't so I would have told you. John 14, 1. if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again and receive you unto myself. 2 Thessalonians 4. <laughs> you find two denominations in 2 Thessalonians 4, you find the brethren and you find the Baptist. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. All right, there's the brethren concerning them which are asleep, the dead in Christ, that's the Baptist, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He is coming again. Looking for that blessed hope. Let me give you a definition of blessed hope. Dr. Billy Martin shared this years ago. I've never forgotten it. He said, hope is the ability to enjoy now something we know that will happen later. Hope is the ability to enjoy now something we know will happen later. When I was a teenager, my sister had a hope chest. It was a cedar chest. You ladies know what I'm talking about? And she put in that all of the things that she was going to need to establish a home. She hoped some man would come along. And he did. And she was enjoying filling that hope chest. The, the, the ability to enjoy something now that you know will happen later. I know Jesus is coming back. Say, does it concern you that 17 kids were shot on campus of a public school in Florida? It concerns me, but it's not the end of the world. Does it bother you what's going on over in the Middle East? Yeah, it bothers me, but it's not the end of the world. What about the economic situation? What about all the violence down in Jamaica? What about, what about, what about, what about? You know what? I'm not looking at what this world is coming to. I'm looking at who's coming to this world. He's coming again. And that teaches me that there's an urgency to the gospel. We don't have a lot of time left. And we don't have but one life. And this life needs to be invested in things that count for eternity. I understand America probably more than most missionaries um, because I've lived the American dream. Uh, when you've been in Zambia for all the years that you were there, life in America goes on. You come back and you go, what happened to the church in America when well, you've been in Brazil and uh, you've lived there all your life, living on the Amazon, and you come back and the church in America is concerned with the next new car and the net bigger house and a boat and all of those. And none of those things are wrong, folks. Listen to me. I'm not, I like having a nice car. I live in a decent home. Don't have a boat. The two best days are when you buy it and when you sell it, right? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with those things, but when those things have us to the point that we can't do what God has called us to do, then they become wrong. And maybe it's time we learn something from God's Word and apply it Dr. Allred used to say if there's been no change there has been no teaching and God's word teaches us to change to be different so friend this morning do you know Jesus Christ is your savior if you were to die right now could you stand assuredly and say i know heaven is my home Jesus Christ is my Savior, and there's no doubt in my heart that I'm going to heaven. If not, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to you this morning. You're a sinner, and God loved you enough even in your sin that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die a cruel death on the cross of Calvary, to suffer, to bleed, and to die for you. And if you will repent of your sin, acknowledge it, and repent means to turn, to change, to make a U-turn from your sin and say, Lord, my sin sent you to the cross. I don't want to do that again. And I believe that Jesus died for me and I accept you as my Savior. Then the grace of God will appear to you this morning and you can have eternal life. You can leave knowing that heaven is your home and Jesus Christ is your Savior. But the greater portion of the message this morning has been to you, Christians. Have you learned anything? What did you learn at church today? I hope that you can say, I learned that I need to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. I need to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And I need to live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming back very soon, and I'm going to be different because I've learned that today. I picked this up a few years ago. I don't know where I heard it from, so if you quote it, you can give me the credit, okay? That will make me look all the smarter. But no, I didn't originate this. But if someone hears the gospel and accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, that's God's business. It's on Him. He'll save them. He'll take them to heaven. If someone hears the gospel and rejects Jesus Christ, that's their business. Friend, if you you die without Christ this morning, you have no one to blame for hell except for yourself. God didn't send you there. He made every provision for you to go to heaven. You sent yourself there. So if they hear the gospel and accept, that's on God. If they hear the gospel and reject, that's on them. But if they never hear the gospel, that's on us. That's our fault. That's our responsibility because in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and in Acts, we've been told to go. To go into all the world and to share the gospel. So what did you learn in church this morning? Do you need to receive Christ as your savior? Today's your day. This is the time. Are there some things, Christians, in your life that you need to change? You need to be different. Then repent of it. Ask God to forgive you. Pray and ask for His help and get accountable with someone and begin to walk in light of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. It's quick, it's living, and it's powerful. And it cuts deep. But we need that. I need it. Help us to be different for having encountered your word today. For the soul that doesn't know Christ as Savior, help them to receive him. For Christians who haven't grown in their learning, help them to make changes and to be different for encountering your word. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.